Um, I get the incredible honor to introduce a hero. And uh, I, I haven't told a, a lot of people this story, but that even being here and, and being able to be with Pastor Bill is such, a, is such a dream. I just feel like I'm not even living in reality that we get to sit in the same green room and eat biltong together and then speak at the same conference. It's, it's just a real dream. And I lost my father um, to cancer about 10 years ago. It'll be 10 years this April. And, you know, it came at a really difficult time in my life when, um, you know, my wife was pregnant with our first child. And I was living in this, you know, dichotomy where my wife's belly was growing with the promise. And yet my dad was dying. And it was a very difficult thing to navigate. And actually, I came to Africa in the middle of that season. And that was where I met John. And, and, um, and you know, you see that verse in the, in the Bible that says that you have many teachers or many guardians in Christ, but few fathers. And, and I just believe the biggest crisis in our culture right now um, a lot of the, the breakdown of society can, can be led right back to fatherlessness. And, and I think Africa, I think South Africa and, and African nations have a lot of great teachers. And we're really grateful for a lot of teachers and, and you know, people that can preach the gospel. But I just feel like that there's a, father, a movement of fathers that's arising in this nation. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful for, for the teachings and the culture that's being imparted from Bill, and I, I feel so privileged. I was telling him last night, you know, as we were driving from the meeting, you know, my children are growing up, you know, they're, they're nine, seven, five, and one, and my kids are growing up in an atmosphere where it's normal to receive visions from Jesus, where it's normal to pray for people, where it's normal to go and target my nine-year-old hunts people down with crutches and wheelchairs. This is my nine-year-old. Like, it's just what she does. It's not, she doesn't have to be instructed to do it. It's normal for her. And my kids, I'm watching my kids grow up in a culture. And what, what I feel like our heart is to impart is not just another message or another sermon, but it's an entire culture. Living in a culture where it's, it's not weird to have a guy that's a worship leader wanting to run for U.S. Congress. You know, and when, you, when you're un, under an apostolic leader, the ceilings are high and the windows are big. And it's like, whatever you want to do in here, that's what you're called to do. You want to go and take your kids to war zone? Go for it. You want to be at soccer practice next week with them? Cool. And it's just, I feel like that the privilege and the honor of having him here, not only as a father, and he stepped into my life soon after I lost my dad and has been such a, I, I'm an adopted son. I made myself one in the Johnson family. Um, but I feel like we get the privilege to sit under a father of, of the faith. And there's an impartation that's gonna happen in our lives, in our communities, in our churches as we sit under apostolic authority and get imparted with the father heart of God for our nations, amen. So let's stand up to our feet and give the wildest cheer for my pastor and my hero, Pastor Bill Johnson, come on.
Thank you. Thanks, thanks. You look good. Glad you showed up. As I mentioned last night, uh, it, uh, it really is a, a treat to be back in South Africa. You have a, a wonderful reputation in the earth right now for, for hunger and for stewarding a move of God. And uh, so I'm, I'm just glad, glad I get to be here, glad I get to be here among friends. And I'm sandwiched between Sean and Sean. So that's, that's a good problem right there. I've got two people that I admire so much that I get to run with, and it's just a, a great, great treat. Um, I thought I should probably read something to you. It's an old one, but I enjoy it, so I'm going to read it for me, and if you enjoy it, That'll make two of us. <laughs> An old Italian gentleman lived alone in New Jersey. He wanted to plant his annual tomato garden, but it was very difficult work as the ground was hard. His only son, Vincent, who used to help him, was in prison. The old man wrote a letter to his son, and he described his predicament. Dear Vincent, I'm feeling pretty sad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my tomato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. I know if you were here, my troubles would be over. I know you would be happy to dig the plot for me, like in the old days. Love, Papa. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Papa, don't dig up that garden. That's where the bodies are buried. <clears throat> Love, Vinny. At 4 a.m. the next morning, FBI agents and local police arrived, dug up the entire area without finding any bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. The same day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Papa, go ahead and plant the tomatoes now. That's the best I could do under the circumstances. Love, Vinny. I just think that's so funny. All right. We've got books somewhere. And uh, one that's released here just for, just here, right? South Africa. Never had this done before. It's called Supernatural Tran Transformation. It's three books in one. It's uh, When Heaven Invades Earth, Supernatural Power of the Transformed Mind, and Strengthen Yourself in the Lord. So these are available back there somewhere. This one is called God is Good, He's Better Than You Think. And uh, since He's better than we think, we have to adjust how we think. Um, I personally believe the cornerstone of all theologies is goodness. And, um, and we misrepresent Him so often by thinking He's the one who causes so many of the calamities and difficulties in the earth. How many storms did Jesus bless? How many times was a life-threatening storm coming towards him or a city and you see him just bless it, destroy that city. It'll teach them to pray. They'll be more like me. Never see it happen because that wasn't his approach. He said the devil came to kill, steal, destroy. He came to give life. 
And uh, we've got to get that part of the message right. So, uh, Otherwise, you don't know who you're fighting. If you think, it's, if you think God has caused something, you know, if he's caused the, the disease in your body, why go to the doctor and mess it up? Yeah. Don't, don't mess with God's perfect work. All right, don't get me started. Yes. Right. So anyway, that's, uh, that's back there as well. And then the last one I mentioned is a book my wife put together here. Just, uh, it's our latest book called The Power of Communion. And uh, we have had a real tremendous release in our personal lives, our family, in our church as well, with continuous ongoing taking of communion. Uh, we like to take it uh, uh, every day, most every day we, we take communion. And um, my, my wife had a friend who, who uh, in, in the middle of our journey, learning the power of communion, sent her a note, said, I, I'm in the hospital, I'm dying. And she had, I think, six, six terminal diseases. And my wife wrote her back and said, take communion every day. And I forget now how many weeks went by, but I think it was three or four weeks she wrote back, said, I'm out of the hospital. I'm healed of all diseases. So it's uh, communion, partaking of the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood is not a magic pill. It's a moment of encounter to rediscover what he accomplished for us. So those are available back there. Anybody um, have a birthday today? Yeah, if you have a birthday today, today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Come on down. Come, 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 come. All right. Give one to her. And is there another birthday? How many of you wish you were born today? <laughs> Michael, there's uh, several more birthdays. More and more people are being born today the longer I wait. So take them back to get a book. All right. Bless you. All right. You guys ready? Five of you. I've, I've worked with less. I've worked with less than five, but let's, uh, let's get as many of you on board as we can. I, I want to start this, uh, my part of this event a bit differently because I want to talk to you about an encounter I had with the Lord about three months ago. Some of you may have heard me talk about it elsewhere. Hopefully, uh, repetition will help you as it has helped me. Um, I should probably insert here since I know that uh, so many of you are new to what I do. I, I believe in divine encounters. I don't believe that they are ever to be elevated above Scripture. Scripture is the standard by which we measure what we experience. I'm going, to chew that, I'm going to try to do that the best I know how. About uh, three months ago, I was uh, awakened in the night. I've, I've had the Lord awaken me twice in my life with his voice. This wasn't that. This is hard to qualify, actually. Uh, but I was awakened with, and I don't know any other way to put it, I was awakened out of a dead sleep with an inspired thought. And I consider that to be the voice of the Lord, but I'll, I'll let you, you judge that. <clears throat> I was awakened with inspired thought. 
And uh, it was a Saturday night, so Sunday morning. I get up quite early in the morning. I get up at 4. I'm down at the church a little after 5. And then we've got, we've got just incredible amount of meetings uh, for the next uh, 18 hours. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, glorious, victorious, exhausting day. But I was awakened at about 1.20 in the morning, and I'm going to be getting up shortly. <clears throat> and I was awakened with this phrase going through my mind. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. It's a strange phrase to wake up to. It's not one I would normally, you know, think up on my own. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. We know that in Bible days, the strength, the strength of a city and the safety of a city is measured by the height and the thickness of the wall, the gates that kept them safe. They would open them for commerce. Traders would come in and go out. But that's the walls of that city is what uh, created that element of safety. I immediately began to think of when I was awakened with this thought, a walled city without gates is not entirely safe. I, of course, went to the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. I remember that what they worked 70 some years to try to accomplish, they accomplished in 52 days under the guidance of Nehemiah, whose name means comforter. So you can do stuff with the Holy Spirit you can never do on your own. <clears throat> a lifetime trying on your own to do something that you can do literally in a season with the Holy Spirit. We sometimes expect things to take a long time, which only reveals our measure of faith, not our measure of God. I, you know, if it takes you 12 steps to get out of a program, use all 12 steps well. But he does have a one-step program. <clears throat> out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that's just one, one big step. All right. <clears throat> so I started to think about a walled city without gates. And I remember when they, the time came, the walls were built and the gates were not in place. My mind immediately went to, and you have to understand now, I'm, I'm awakened by who I, I believe is the Lord, and I've got thoughts that are racing through my mind. This, this is not uh, just a time of meditation or contemplation. I've got thoughts racing, literally racing through my mind, which is not normal for me at 1.20 in the morning, all right? Especially after I've been sleeping for a couple hours. I, I'm basically in a coma and I need to be resurrected every day. That's, that's how I do life. So, <clears throat> so I, I began to think about a favorite passage of mine. In fact, why don't you turn to it? It would be in Isaiah chapter 60. I had an interesting encounter with the Lord in uh, 1987. Excuse me, wrong one. Uh, go to Isaiah 60. I had an encounter with the Lord in uh, 1979. It was May of 1979, a Thursday afternoon, where he spoke to me out of this chapter, one of the most significant encounters of my life. <clears throat> but here in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19, excuse me, verse 18, 
The last half of the verse says, you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. You will call your walls salvation, your gates praise. So rehearse the phrase with me. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. Let's say it together. A walled city without gates is not entirely safe. So here's this passage. So quickly, my mind races to several verses. I'm in the dark. I'm laying there next to my wife. I'm wide awake. And I've got these verses just racing through my mind. This was the first one. And your walls will be called salvation and your gates praise. Salvation is what he does for us. Praise is what we build for him. The wall that surrounds us, that keeps us safe, he builds. It's called salvation. But we have a role in partnering with him in building the gates. And the gates are praise. My mind then went to Revelation, I believe it's 21, 21, if I remember right. And it's in this passage, he says, and the 12 gates of the city of Jerusalem, the 12 gates, each gate will be made of one solid pearl. That's a very strange gate. It's a big old pearl. I, I love the metaphors of scripture. The Lord invites us into the discovery of mystery. It's uh, in Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So in your royalty, pursue secrets because it's your God-given right and ability to ask questions and to pursue the mysteries. But he hides things for his sake. He doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. That was a really good point, Bill. Amen. <laughs> Very good point. So he hides things for us, not from us. So here's this passage in Revelation that says, the gate is made of a pearl. How are pearls formed? Irritation. So how are the gates of praise formed? Anybody can give praise when they've gotten the promotion. Anyone can give him praise when your favorite sports team just won a championship. Anyone can give him praise when you've gotten the degree you worked so hard for. All those things are important. But the gate is formed when I give praise in opposition to my circumstances. There's a deliberate, there's an intentionality that is supposed to be a part of our, the development of our own soul, the development of our own Christian behavior, our Christian disciplines. There's an intentionality that when difficulty comes, then I'm suddenly called to task where it is important that I move in the opposite spirit of whatever is opposing me and whatever is assailing me. And in that moment, find the material from which to give him praise in the midst of difficulty and loss. It's, it's, it's not just lyrics to a song. 
It's more than that. It's a, it's a behavior. It's the way we determine to do life. I remember <clears throat> my dad died 16 years ago, and he was uh, the greatest encouragement in my life. Uh, he was a great, great apostolic leader. He, <clears throat> he left uh, a pretty significant position and retired from that, and he moved to our city just to help with the revival. He uh, was a, a Holy Spirit man. He was, he was a, a worshiper uh, at his core. That's who he was. And, and our whole mandate for ministering to the Lord as a church family, we got from him. And I, I embraced it in my life and my children, etc., have done the same. Bethel Music came out of that mandate. So my dad was a great encouragement to me. He was a great strength to me. Um, just was a servant and was uh, um, so a noble. He was uh, one of the most noble uh, individual you'll, you'll ever meet. And he, he died. And when he died, our whole family was in the bedroom with him and my mom. And we were there. We'd been there for days. Uh, I don't remember how many of us now, probably 30 or so. Uh, we're in the home for days, I don't forget how many days, but 24 hours a day, we were just there. We would uh, go up in the room, sit with him, pray, uh, read, sing, uh, do the things that you do as a family, sit and just have family conversation. And, and we sat around his bed, and he was dying of a disease that we've seen healed. <clears throat> and so we prayed and did everything that we know to do, and he died. And when he died, we had a decision to make. And and I, I, you know, in those moments, you've got pain, you've got loss, you've got confusion. Why, why wasn't he healed? I'll never blame God for that. I'll never credit him for loss. I'll credit him with being able to use loss. Let me try this side of the room here. <clears throat> I'll, I'll never blame him for death, loss, destruction but I will give him credit for being able to use whatever hand I was dealt and he can win with it. He can win with it. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is perfect theology. You never see him not bringing a redemptive solution to death, loss, and destruction. He ruined every funeral he attended, <laughs> including his own. So I remember you've got the pain, you've got the disappointment, you've got the confusion, you've got the guilt. What could we have done differently? You've got the shame. We see this disease healed. He wasn't. You, you understand all the all those swirling that goes on in your heart. And I, I decided I'm going to take all this pain, loss, confusion, questions, discomfort, all this stuff. I'm going to hold it really close to my heart and then I'm going to give God praise because I want this to influence, add flavor, fragrance to the incense of praise I'm giving him. And the reason is I will never have a chance in eternity to give him that offering. There'll be no tears there. There's no confusion. There's no loss. I'll worship him for eternity. I look forward to entering eternity and having that privilege to exalt him. But that particular gift I only have now to give him. So I'm going to hold the pain close 
And I'm going to rise, lift my eyes above the pain and the loss and see the one who is perfectly faithful and give him honor and give him praise. And we began to worship him as the one who always heals. You say that may be a contradiction. No, it's not. It's not. He's the absolute healer. And to lift your praise above that. See, gates are formed. What is it about gates, biblically? I think it's Psalms 87. He says, the Lord says that he loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Israel. So listen to the language. Gates, the gates of Zion more than all the other dwelling places of Israel. So he's just made a comparison of a gate as a dwelling place. But then we remember in Psalms 22 verse 3 that he inhabits the praises of his people. So he does in fact dwell in praise, which means he dwells in gates. And his favorite place to dwell is in the gates of Zion. So my mind began to race, of course, again with this, with this theme. What then, what then does this mean for us? What then does this require of us? And I quickly, there's a passage that I've been studying and speaking on actually quite a bit in the last year. And it's in 1 Thessalonians. If you turn there with me, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's three tiny little verses here that I... I remember as a young pastor reading these and thinking I could spend every day the rest of my life trying to learn these and I would still have a full-time job. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, excuse me, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You want to know what the will of God is for your life? It's right here. Yeah, well, I don't know if I should be a doctor or a dentist. I don't know. Just choose one and then do this. (laughs) Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Say that with me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Let's try it all together. I'm going to give you a real challenge here. Three verses you're about to quote. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Say it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. My mind quickly went to this passage that I had been studying, Rejoice Always. And I felt as though the Lord spoke to me as I was thinking on this particular passage. And what he said was, the key to mental health is to give thanks in everything. The key to mental health is to give thanks in everything. I then remember a, uh, an interview with a, I believe it's a psychologist, either psychiatrist or psychologist, I, I get them confused, so... But one of those. Sorry if you are one, but I don't. Yeah, just leave it right there. Uh, interview on, on uh, radio once with a psychologist. And they made the statement that something like 90% of all mental illness is caused by, by, the, uh, by trying to avoid pain. 
Notice interesting thing. What thankfulness does is thankfulness keeps us emotionally and mentally attached to the nature and the heart of God in the middle of things we can't control, we can't explain. And there's something about thankfulness in every situation that, that helps to keep us just mentally clean. How many of you have come to learn that the battleground is the mind? The battleground, I mean, the big challenge is right here, it's between the ears. It's the reason the renewing of the mind is so vital. We just, we don't think like he does. I mean, it's, it's not like we're even close. It's not like with a slight adjustment, I'll be like him. No, it's completely opposite. He says, you live by dying. Those aren't the same. He says, you receive by giving. He rewards all growth with pruning. He says in Mark 10, he says, for those of you that you forsook everything to follow me, I'm going to give you a hundred times as much back into your life with persecution. <laughs> There's a promise I never see on anybody's refrigerator. God's going to increase my persecution. He just thinks different than we do. And it takes complete, well, repentance is the actual word. Repentance, of course, we think of often, at least I do in my background, uh, with weeping at an altar, confessing sin. It's a huge expression of repentance. But it isn't technically what the word means. The word means to change the way you think. So for me, it means this. There is such deep sorrow over sin and its effect in my life that it brings me to a place I'm going to change the way I look at reality. See, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent because of what's within reach. It's like he said, change your perspective on reality. Otherwise, you can live an entire lifetime within reach of something that is superior and never once see it. See, most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Repentance from sin, from dead works, is supposed to take me unto something that has an impact on how I think and see. And so we've got this key, really, an invitation, I believe, from the Lord to give thanks in everything. I have a friend who just told a story this last week, one of the most bizarre stories I've ever, I've ever heard. He was sitting next to a Satanist on a plane and the Satanist said, I'm here to curse you. And he says, oh boy. He said, tell me what it is, but don't tell me yet. Wait till I get my tablet. It's up in the overhead bin. Got to wait till we get to a certain elevation on the plane, you know. So finally got, he got the tablet and he started racing. Okay, go, go for it. So he, he starts giving all this chicken, this Graham Cook. Oh, goodness gracious. Mind-boggling story. He's, he's, so he's writing everything down, and, and he writes, and he writes, and he writes, and he turns to the guy, and he says, now, you're just getting started, right? He says, you're just getting started. He said, no, I'm just about through. I said, really? This is all you can do? But you, you, you must be new at this. <laughs> 
And he said, yeah, I'm, I, I'm just so, I'm so excited because, because I know that God takes whatever curse you throw at me, he turns it into a blessing. So I'm just, I'm looking forward to the blessing of the Lord, you know, in my life. He got up to use the restroom. When he came back, the guy had changed seats. So I don't know. It's, it's, things are different than we think. We, we allow media, we allow environments, uh, relatives, friends, to control the narrative over what we think about, contemplate, and have perspective on. You understand the media, what you know about people uh, that are uh, public figures, you only know what they want you to know unless you have a personal relationship, that's all you know. And they want to control the narrative, why? Because they, if, they can, if they can instill fear, they can control our vote, our decisions, what we meditate on, where we'll spend our money, where we'll spend our time. Fear is a great motivator. The two counterfeits, the two things that war against the, the reality of the kingdom of God is the political spirit and the religious spirit. Jesus warned against them both in Mark 8, chapter 8. He said, be careful of the, of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. Herod is the political system. It's humanistic in nature. Man is at the center of everything. The Pharisaical system is a religious system. It believes in the existence of God. He's at the center of everything, but he's impersonal and powerless. It's routine without relationship. It's form without power. And those two things are vying for the affections of the people of God. When we have the greatest reality within arm's reach at all times, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here and it's now. And he invites us into that discovery through repentance. And so here we have this challenge. In everything, give thanks. It means I actually, it helps me if I, if I believe he's good, if I, if I truly believe he's good, number one. Number two, I truly believe that, that he is sovereign and he always turns things around for my benefit. It helps me to be able to look at a problem and go, I don't know how you're going to fix this one, but I'm just giving you thanks now because I know this is going to be a wild ride. I know this is going to be a good one. It, it helps us to be able to give thanks when you, when you realize that the most, the most faithful one in the universe lives inside of you. And he causes all things to work together for good. It helps to be able to give thanks in advance because now it's not just a shot in the dark. It's actually, I'm actually dependent upon the nature and the character of God. See, real faith is a yielded surrender to cooperating with the nature of God. Real faith is simply a partnership with divine nature. Back to the middle of the night. This lasted about an hour or so. The next thing that started spinning around in my heart and mind was Rejoice always. And I, I felt as the Lord, the Lord spoke to me and he said, the key to emotional health is to rejoice always. You know, probably if your experience is anything like mine, 
you've learned something about praise and it can be difficult things going on and you just say, well, God, I just, I just give you praise. I give you thanks because you are good. And I, I just honor you because you are Lord, you are sovereign, and you're in charge of my life. And I give you, I give you it's an offering, it's a sacrifice, but there's no joy in it. There's no joy in it, right? It's just raw obedience. And so he really pushes it when he says to rejoice always. See, I, I, I grew up thinking that, um, that you rejoice when you had joy. I never realized that you rejoice to get joy. See, when the guy's cursing you and you start getting happy, it's because you know something he doesn't. All he's doing is inviting the blessing of God into my life. There's a legitimate reason for rejoicing ahead of time. It's not just mind over matter. It's not, it's not living in denial. It's not psyching myself up. It's the fact that I've become aware of a superior reality. The sovereign one, my heavenly father, has determined to work this situation out for my good. For his glory and for my good. Rejoice always. I remember as a, as a young pastor, I, I struggled with discouragement so much. And, and the reason, to be honest, was I, was I was hungry for more and I wasn't seeing it. I'd read the books, you know, my heroes, John G. Lake is probably my my favorite in many respects, who spent considerable time here. But, but I, I remember reading those books. I read through the scriptures and I'd see all this stuff happening and be so frustrated with why it wasn't happening with me. I would, I would try for a few months and you know, I'd pray for the sick and do whatever, nobody ever got healed. I, I, I sent several into eternity. Um, <laughs> I don't want to say it was a gift. <laughs> But um, there were some who died. <laughs> but it's frustrating. It's frustrating when you, when you hunger for more. You see it on the pages of Scripture. You see it on the pages of church history. And you do everything you know to do. And there's no breakthrough. And I, I would get so discouraged. And, uh, and I, honestly, I would spend usually a couple days a week just fighting that discouragement. And... and um, by Sunday, I'd always get my act together and come back and try to bring a, a, a hope-filled word because I, I know that hope is, is, is central to who we are. And, and I'd get that, that battle won by Sunday, but I, I struggled th throughout the week. I remember I'd go down to the, we had a little uh, tiny sanctuary in the mountains where, where I pastored for 17 years. And um, I would go down there late at night and just walk around the sanctuary and pray. And I, I don't want to in any way put down a prayer because prayer is so vital and essential. So don't, don't misread what I'm going to say. But I could go there and pray for a couple hours and not be any better. That's, that's a bummer. That's a bummer when you put in your time and there's no change. I later discovered that most of my prayer life was focused on me. 
See, even if you're there confessing, oh God, I'm so unworthy, the focus is still you. It's the most subtle form of pride because you're still the focal point of your prayers. Oh God, I just don't qualify. God, I just don't measure up. God, there must be hidden sin. Please show me. Please help me. I don't know what it is, but maybe my motives are wrong. What am I doing? I'm just praying about me. But it's okay. All two-year-olds think the world rotates around them. God's not angry with the two-year-old. Just don't stay two. At some point, you have to learn how to pick up your toys and to be a contributor to the family. I would spend hours in prayer, and I, he's a wonderful father. I'm sure he enjoyed all of it, but there, 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 or most of it. But, but there wasn't much change in me until I learned one particular night, rejoice always. And I was in this little sanctuary by myself. It's late at night, it's cold, it's all the above. And I decided I'm gonna rejoice. So I would dance, I'd leap in the air, I'd twist and turn, I'd shout praises to God. I do all the stuff that I do not feel like doing at all. This is absolute raw obedience. But I, I remember just shouting before the Lord and dancing and leaping. You know, if, if it's in the Bible, I just have to be willing to do it. So that's what I did. I just started. And you know what? It didn't take very long. And that whole dark cloud that was over me was gone. It was, it was, a, it was the quickest deliverance I ever went through. It was, it's honestly, the devil didn't want to hang around someone that happy. Sometimes, see, if you go into prayer and you come out the same as you went in, you probably weren't praying, you were complaining. <laughs> see, in a real prayer, there's an exchange. He says, come to me, you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Bring me your junk and I'll give you my stuff. There's an exchange. So if I come and leave the same way, it's because my hands were too full to receive what he had for me. I can spend the time, I can pray the hours, I can pray the right prayers, but not experience the personal benefit of my intercession. Are, are you guys, do you, do you understand what I'm, what I'm trying to allude to here? All right. So I, I remember learning this thing early on that this was important. I, what I felt didn't matter in this moment. It's not that it doesn't matter, it just doesn't control me. How's that? See, real faith doesn't deny the existence of a problem. It just denies the problem influence in the decision. It denies the problem a voice. So rejoice always. And so I learned in that season that sometimes I, I just, I have to act outside of my emotional condition, act outside of the, the torment I've made myself go through because of what I've been thinking about. How many of you have ever gone inward, deep introspection, and came out encouraged? 
I didn't think so. I still have yet to meet anyone who's gone deep inward and come out going, whoa, <laughs> wait till you see what I just found. I mean, it just doesn't happen. So anytime we become introspective, self-centered, we, we, we just never find hope. We, we find it elsewhere. You know, I, I, there's all kinds of tests you can take on your personality and all this stuff, and I, I'm, I'm fine with all of them. I, I don't mind any of them, but I, I tell people, if you really want to know your personality, just do a water-only fast for seven days, and you'll find out things about yourself you never knew were there. You'll, you'll find out more about you than you ever wanted to know. Let's just put it that way. I, So he says, rejoice always. So if he commands us, what happened to me in this particular season I mentioned, is he, he's, he spoke to me and he said, Bill, you're not to be discouraged anymore. And I thought, is that even possible? Now the only reason he would command it of me is because I had a choice in bringing it about. That was a really good point. <laughs> the only reason he would command me to do something opposite is because I was making decisions that helped the problem to remain. When you give, when you give a virtuous name to a dysfunction, you give it permission to stay. When you call jealousy discernment, When you call gossip intercession, when we give virtuous names, we actually not only give it permission to stay, but we invite it to set down roots till it shapes our personality. So he says, rejoice always, the key to emotional health. And the last one I'll mention here is, it's actually sandwiched in the middle of these two statements pray without ceasing and this one spun me a bit more than the other two believe, believe it or not the other two made sense to me this one was a little bit more challenging for me to connect with and this is what I felt he spoke to me and again this is all internal impression he, he spoke to me and said praying without ceasing is the key to heart health I do need to explain that one. A, a life verse for me, I was in conversation with a friend of mine. The year was 1978. Um, excuse me, the year, I'm getting my years mixed up. No, it was 78, sorry. And he shared with me this verse out of Proverbs 4, verse 23. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Watch over your heart. That's not an invitation to introspection. It says, watch over your heart. Jesus warned, he said, adulteries, murders, all these things come out of the heart. And then he went to the other extreme and he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So this issue of the heart, the purity of the heart is absolutely central to our walk with Christ. Watch over your heart with all diligence. We've got two extremes, 
their murders, adulteries, and all this horrible stuff comes out of a heart that has not been monitored. It's like any garden. You plant a beautiful garden. If you don't pull out the weeds, you will lose what you planted to weeds. If there's not maintenance. Yes? If there's not ongoing maintenance, you will lose what you planted. It's the same with the heart. So he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So here, here was his prescription for me. Those who pray without ceasing is the key to heart health. What does that mean? Purity of heart. That that enables you to perceive God in a given situation. How important is that? One of the great mysteries of life is this phrase in Psalms 23. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Oftentimes we're in a hellish situation and we see enemies and we can't find the table of sweet communion. But it's a setting that he created. We're not, just because you're in view of the enemy doesn't mean you're in, within reach of the enemy. Why would the Lord position you to be in view of the enemy? Because he loves to torture the enemy. <laughs> Your delight in God is one of the most frustrating things to the powers of darkness. For you to be in the middle of a season of difficulty and loss and for you to celebrate the kindness of God is one of the greatest mysteries in the spirit world. It is anchored in the nature of God. It's anchored in the reality of God's promises over your life and over mine. So now we've got this picture of safety that the Lord, it, the Lord is wanting to create this atmosphere of safety in the house of God where salvation is the walls, but we have taken our moments, our moments of loss, our moments of betrayal, our moments of disappointment, all the stuff, the junk that everybody in this room has experienced. In the middle of those seasons, those are your seasons of greatest advancements. Listen carefully. Whenever opposition comes, it's your greatest opportunity for advancement. Don't try to overthink it. Keep it simple. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Grab your moment. Grab your moment. I will not be overcome by this. Instead, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I don't have to. You do. And you, you, and you give thanks. We, we, we give him praise. We declare his greatness. We, we intentionally make proclamation. I, I, I don't like this, you know, I'm going through a hard time. I hang my head during worship and, and mouth victorious songs. Stop it. Do what David did. He grabbed himself by the lapels and he says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Get your act together. He has not changed. You have.
walled city without gates is not entirely safe. And I believe in this particular season, the Lord is giving us a, a, a grace period to make sure the gates are in place. And it's going to be a different kind of a gate, so to speak, for every one of us. For some of you, you've got, you've got the sting of your own bad choices. Well, forgive yourself and build a gate. You know, build a gate right at the place of your greatest personal disappointment. Some of you have gone through great betrayal. Others are in uh, health uh, issues that are, are life-threatening or maybe a family member. Whatever, fill in the blanks. We, we all have stuff going on that's quite challenging. And to be able to think above that, to rise above that, and to declare his greatness, to prophesy his wonders. I, I, like, I like prophesying when I pray. When I find a word, when I sense God's brooding on an idea, I like to make declaration. I, I don't want to just pray it hoping that maybe this will be the one in ten that he answers. It's, it's, he's called me into a partnership because sometimes he'd rather do something through me than for me. Sometimes he's waiting for me to, to embrace my assignment, join my voice with his word, and make the decree that is necessary to bring about his conclusion in this situation. We have, we have an assignment, and I believe the Church of South Africa has given, you know, there's so much going on here that is so wonderful, and I, I, I get feedback a fair amount uh, from what's happening here, and I'm so encouraged by you by your hunger and the breakthrough. But I feel like every one of us could take it up a notch, so to speak, in this, it's time to build a gate in the face of what, what frustrates us the most. So let's stand. I'm not going to invite you forward if you needed that. Because there's not enough room up here. Because probably for most of us, we would need to be right in the middle saying, God, I need that. Here's what I'd like for you to do. You have a, 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 a muscle that needs to be developed. If you want to build your bicep, you work on curls, you squat, you, so many weight muscles that you can build, but there's a muscle that God gave you that's called the will that has to be developed working in one direction. It has to be exercised over and over again. Why, why during worship does Jesus not show up in all of his glory? Because then our worship would no longer be voluntary. It would be automatic. Every person would be on their face. There would be no choice involved. Even unbelievers are on their face. It's glorious. It's wonderful. 
but he's trying to move us along through the development of our will. It's a sacred gift that he gave us, the human will. And every time I have the chance in loss to give him praise for gain, in disappointment, to stand and to look for others to encourage and to declare his greatness. These are moments that is adjusting stuff in my heart that prepares me for the inheritance he has for me. Inheritance is not sitting in a lounge chair sipping tea on a beach. Inheritance is greater responsibility in the kingdom. It's, it's just the way it works. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Let's just sing a chorus together. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone, every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. Now I'm going to ask you to do something I don't think I've ever asked any group to do in this way before. But I want us to lift up shouts of thanksgiving and praise in the face of the biggest challenge you face. I want you to hold it in front of you, and I want you to give God praise, and I want you to do it nonstop for 60 seconds. And I'm going to time you. And if you stop, we're going to start over. All right? Now, I, I, I did a timer thing once in a school of ministry quite a while ago, once in 40-some years. So this is your, I'm experimenting with you, all right? I'm seriously, I want you to take, just imagine the biggest challenge that you've got, put it right in front of you. And I want you with joy to give thanks and to rejoice and to celebrate the goodness of God. Ready, set, go.
Keep going. 30 more seconds. Keep going. 15 more seconds. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Thank you, God. You did good. <laughs> wow. Lift up another shout. Thank you, God.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. South Africa, I know in the United States we have so many wonderful, wonderful people that just really battle with their emotions and their mind. So many wonderful believers are getting counsel for this and medication for that. And, and I, I don't want to at all disqualify those gifts or anyone who needs to do that. I, I just want to say it's really time for emotional and mental health in the body of Christ. Because we have a world around us that needs help. And uh, no shame to anyone, anyone in, in that condition. I, I, just, I just feel the wooing of the Lord to come in to a place of great emotional health and great mental health and great heart health that the pure in heart would see God. The pure in heart would see God. Thank you, Lord. Just put a hand on the shoulder of somebody next to you. I want you just to pray, God, give them a very special grace in this season to build a really big gate. A really big gate. I want the Bethel team to come on down to the front, if you would, quickly. Come on down quickly. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Alumni can join, if you'd like, uh, from the school. Love to have you come. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> now just ask the Lord to get him. Just get him. Just, just, just whack him, Jesus. Give him more. More than they ever thought was possible. Okay, keep moving down just a little bit more. Move down. Wonderful. All right. Wonderful. You did good. You did good. You did good. Let me pray over you, and then uh, we're going to wrap this up. We've got a team down here. We uh, want to give opportunity for you to receive a healing prayer. Some of you just need things broken off your life. Uh, some of you have been bound up. You, I, I mentioned earlier uh, some of you are feeling the sting of choices you've made. And I, I want you to know it is not holy for you to self-punish. There's no need for you to punish yourself for what Jesus paid for. The best way to glorify him is receive his forgiveness and forgive yourself. And if you feel you need to have somebody agree with you, Net, we've got a team down here ready to, ready to pray for you regarding anything. So I'm, I, are, are you taking it after this? All right. I'm, I'm giving you a warning. I'm about to end. Let's pray together. All right. All right. So, Father, we give you thanks for the way you give life. You are the Father of life. 
we celebrate your kindness. We celebrate your, your joy that you give us so liberally. So liberally. And I pray that there would be uh, a marked difference in our thinking, in our behavior, starting now, for the honor of the name Jesus. Everybody said, Amen, Amen. All right.